0: New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. Well, I'm glad y'all got to meet the talented one in the family. Glad we got that done. And uh, let me say, if you've got a copy of your scriptures, uh, we're going to be in several different places, but um, uh, I want to read you a few verses from Galatians chapter 4 and 5. So you've got a copy of your scriptures, Galatians 4 And five, I'll read that in a moment. But uh, before I do, I just want to, uh, again, say, like my wife did, we have been so blessed uh, by being here among you. Uh, We have been hosted so well, cared for so well by so many of you. And we just want to say uh, we're leaving with full hearts. We're just so grateful for this time. And really didn't budget enough time to hang out in Northern Ireland. We'll just have to come back. We'll have to come back and uh, bring the kids and... uh, I don't know. I, part of me was like, are we Irish? We feel like we get along here. Like, are we? <laughs> like, maybe it's not physical blood, but we're family in Christ, right? We're family. Come on. All right. Galatians chapter four. Let me begin in verse four. And it says this But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Let me read from Galatians 5, beginning in verse 16. But I say, walk by that spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other and to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We'll skip to verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Well, Father, I want to thank you for a few minutes around your word. And I just pray you would help us understand what it means to walk in your spirit, What does it practically look like on the streets, in our homes, in our offices to keep in step with the Spirit, to be spiritual people? Lord, I pray you would integrate our life, that our faith in you and the way we function in the world would be one. And Lord, I'm asking for understanding, but I'm asking for you to warm our hearts and change our lives. And, uh, Lord, I just feel like there's some people here tonight that this will be the night where some things shift for them. And I can't create that. New Horizon can't create that. But you can, God. You can meet with the people you made, and we're asking you to do it. And, and I just want to invite you, if you're willing, uh, to take a minute one last time. And if you would, please pray that the Lord would uh, speak to you tonight, that you could learn from his word. And then if you would, please pray for me that the Lord would use me and I'd be helpful to you. Well, Father, you tell us the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the spirit is life and peace. So as we talk about a renewed mind, help us fix our mind on the spirit. Let's do that. And Lord, I pray we'd be changed and we trust you to do just that. In Jesus' name, amen. So years ago, I spoke on a university campus at an event, and the campus was located on the top of Lookout Mountain, Georgia. And my wife and I found out later that on the other side of the mountain, people would jump off of it to go hang gliding uh, through the sky. We're like, we want to go see these people jump off cliffs. And so we were watching them do it and soar around on these gliders. And while we were watching them, someone told us, you know, if you're a beginner and want to try it, Uh, you can drive down to the bottom, and they'll let you give it a go. And we were like, let's do it. So we went down there, and sure enough, we went down there, signed up, paid. And the way it works is is they connect you underneath this glider in, in basically a sleeping bag with you and an instructor, and you're holding onto this metal rod under this glider, and then they attach a cable to what I can best describe as a motorcycle with wings. And then they told us, Okay, so uh, Bobby up there is going to take off fly into the sky and uh, then he's going to release the cable and we'll glide. And I'm like, is he though? Can that thing fly? And sure enough, he takes off in the air and he's pulling us up by this cable and it is horrible. I mean, there's all this wind resistance. We're bouncing around. I'm getting super nauseous. I'm like, somebody down there is about to meet my breakfast in a way they did not intend. I hate this. And so the whole time I'm like, this is horrible. I don't like how this feels. I want out of here. And then as soon as I'm at the peak of insanity, they release the cable. And I'm at one with the sky. And I'm communing with the birds. And it's so peaceful up there. And there's no noise. And it's silent. And as we're floating around, it's just absolutely amazing. And I remember at one point, uh, my guide says, hey, you want to control it? I'm like, I believe I do, sir. And he was like, well, follow the birds. And I was like, I shall do so. And we went to follow the birds and thanked them for letting us be among them today. And as we were doing that, it was beautiful. And he goes, hey, watch this for a second. He says, watch the altimeter. And I turn and look at the altimeter, which tells you how high you are in the sky, and it just starts spinning like a top. And I'm like, what is going on? And then I look down, and the cars and the people are like little ants. And I'm like, what just happened? And he was like, we hit a thermal. I was like, what does that mean? He was like, this is why this mountain is so popular, is that warm air kind of shoots up the side of this mountain and sends things up into the air. On a normal mountain, if you just jump off of the glider, Lord willing, you just land. But here, that wind will pick you up and carry you higher. And I said, well, how do you know where a thermal is? He says, it's the wind. You can't see it. You watch the birds. He said, you see where they are gliding without flapping, and you just get into that space, and you maneuver there, and you ascend to places you could not go on your own. And I remember being so fascinated by that. We felt so fragile. I'm in a sleeping bag under a napkin. (laughs) And yet it also felt so powerful because I had ascended to a place I could not get on my own. Now, there was work to be done. We had to steer and control. There was work. But the work in its essence was to position ourselves to receive the power of the wind. Now, why do I say that? Because all of us want to be connected to something beyond ourselves that can take us further than we can get on our own. That's why there's such an interest in spirituality in the world today, is that all of us feel a sense of lack, of dislocation. I'm not enough. It's why so many self help books are sold. It's, we all feel like I need something more, I need something added. There's not a sufficiency. Drake wrote a song years ago entitled, Is There More? He said, Is there more to go into trips on Dubai, yachts on the 4th of July, G5 soaring in the skies? Am I missing something that's more important to find? like healing my soul, like family time, is there more? And he says, I've got physical success. I've got the money. I've got the things they said I was supposed to have, but I got them all and I still feel empty. I need to tap into something spiritual. And if you look statistically, and for me, I primarily do in the States, almost everyone wants to be spiritual. They don't necessarily say, I want to be less sinful. They say, I want to be more spiritual. It's fascinating. Studies have been done where they ask people, are you religious? Are you spiritual? And some people say, I'm religious, but not spiritual. Some spiritual, not religious. Some religious with a splash of spiritual, etc. But if you add them all up, it's over 80% of Americans, four out of five, say, I want to be spiritual. But what does that mean? I want to tap into something that can help me be more than I feel like I am now. But what does it mean to be spiritual? I read an article from the Huffington Post that said, people often confuse spirituality with religion. Which makes sense, because if you Google the word spirituality, the definition that comes up is relating to religion or religious belief. You go, well, that makes sense why it's confusing to people. There was an article in Psychology Today that said, spirituality means something different to everyone, which if a word means something different to everyone, it's a meaningless word. If I say I want a pastry and you hand me a codfish, we have miscommunicated. We need to get on the same page as to what we're talking about, right? And so when we talk about spirituality, what does it mean? If we're here because we want to have some kind of connection with something beyond the physical, what are we talking about? What does it mean to be spiritual people? And I would recommend a very simple definition, and it's this. To be spiritual is to be rightly related to the spirit of God. And here's the good news. God wants that for you. It's something we long for, and it's something he longs for for us. Second Corinthians says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship or the communion of the Spirit be with you all. Jesus told his disciples, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage I go away. Because if I go away, the helper will come. I will send him to you. Jesus says, I am sending the spirit to help you get where you're meant to be. And not only is it something that we want, not only is it something that God wants to give us, it's the best way to live life. Ephesians 5 says, look carefully how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Wisdom is understanding how the world works and working well within it. And he says, make the best use of time for the days are evil. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled by the Spirit. He says, I want you to live a wise life, the best kind of life, one that fits with reality and helps you reach your full potential. How do you do that? You get filled by the Spirit. But to hear that, you go, okay, but what does that mean? And so here's what I want to do with our time together. As we've been talking about renewing our minds in this spiritual life, we're moving from this mortification piece to vivification. What is it like to be alive in God? I want to give us perspectives, and then we'll talk about some practice. I want to look at the story of who's the Spirit of God, and then practically how we keep in step with Him. And if we're going to look at the story of the Spirit, we've got to start with language. Because if you believe the Bible is inspired by God, then you believe even the timing in which it was written and the languages that were prevalent were inspired as well. Primarily Hebrew for the Old Testament and Greek for the New. And in the Old Testament, the word for spirit is the word ruach. Ruach. Uh, But it's cool because it also meant the word wind. Uh, And it came to mean the word breath. Because your breath is your wind. And it soon became the word spirit because if someone was laying on the ground and you weren't sure they were alive or not, how did you know? They didn't check pulses back then. They would put their face close to yours. No breath, no wind, no spirit. You're dead, right? And so wind, breath, spirit are the same word and the Old Testament loves to play with that imagery. So you see it all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. It says the earth was formless and void, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters, That as the world was just a chaotic mess, God doesn't stand apart from it. The Spirit of God moves towards it. That Spirit of God hovering over the waters, it means he's separate from it, but he's intimate with it. That verb's only used one other time in Deuteronomy 32 of a mother eagle caring for her young. But it doesn't just mean flapping. It means that I am close to you, caring for you. And the first presentation of the Spirit of God is in Genesis 1-2. He is an intimate presence. He is God near us. And then in Genesis 2, it says, the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That when God breathed into us, we came to life. That breathing into your nostrils, that's, that's intimate, that's close. You ever had someone breathe on you? I remember for me, I... I played American football, and the way he did it, you know, you put all the pads on, you put the helmet on, and, and I was a receiver, and so the coach would tell you the play, and you would run out there, tell the team, and then you would run the play, but I, my coach, the way he would do it is, as I was about to run in the play, he would grab my face mask, pull my helmet close to him, and there was a little ear hole, and he'd put his mouth right on it, and go... Go ahead and run a 46 power off. And I'm just like, my ear's all wet, like gross, too close. (laughs) But you ever been at a dance with a girl you thought was cute? And you're dancing together and her breath hits the back of your neck? Oh, your knees get a little weak, right? You're like, uh oh, that's close. This has the intimacy of a kiss. The spirit of God, the breath of God, the wind of God is close to you as your own breath. And he's not just intimate, he's animating. It's the intimate presence of God that brings us to life. That's who the spirit is. And it's beautiful. What is man poetically in Genesis 1 and 2? He is dust and the wind of God, That's who we are. And then the tragedy happens. We rebel against God out of pride. And we don't so much break a rule as we break a relationship, right? We sever from Him. I don't want to listen to you. I don't believe you. I don't trust you. I'm going my way. And we don't realize what we sold in the process that as soon as we broke faith with God, Paul said to the Romans, Our foolish hearts went dark. We didn't just break faith with Him, something broke in us. We got dislocated from God, the world, and even from ourselves. That dislocation was said so damningly in Genesis 3.19 when God says by the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you will return. What's missing? We used to be dust and the wind of God, the breath of God, an intimate animating presence of God inside of us. He says now you're just dust. The wind is gone. That intimate animating power of God is gone. And we have felt that dislocation from the world and dislocation from ourselves and powerlessness ever since. The author Thomas Wolfe says, The whole conviction of my life now rests upon the belief that this sense of loneliness, far from being a rare and curious phenomenon peculiar to myself and a few other solitary people, is the central and inevitable fact of human existence. All this hideous doubt, despair, and dark confusion of the soul, a lonely person must know he has no faith in him except his own and that faith deserts him and leaves him shaken and filled with impotence. This man is not a believer. He's just looking at the human story and he says, what I feel is a sense of loneliness is pervasive throughout humanity. We feel isolated. Why? Poetically, because the wind is gone. Because we've been severed from this intimate, animating presence of God. And you get that refrain in Genesis 4, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. We are separated from our source of life. But you fast forward, and in Genesis, God promises a boy will come one day. And then you get the law through the prophets, and you get the law through Moses, and you get the whole Old Testament. The people of God get the law of God externally on paper. And do you remember when Moses brought it to them? They said, All that is written, we will do. And after that, God says, Oh, that you had such a heart! You don't have the tools. And when you read the Old Testament, it's a demonstrable failure, one after another. You ever tried to have a quiet time in the book of Judges? It's depressing. They carved her up into pieces and did what? Okay, well, bless this food to my body. May it nourish me, amen. I don't, This is horrible. There's something wrong with us, and external laws are not fixing our internal problems. They're just showing us we're broken. They're x-rays, not surgeons. And so after decades and centuries of demonstrable failure, the prophets begin to speak. And Isaiah says in Isaiah 11, a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord will be with him. A boy is coming, a hero is coming, but then the prophets tell us in the spirit of God, that intimate animating presence, he'll have it, it'll be with him. Behold my servant, whom I delight, I have put my spirit on him. The boy is coming and he's bringing the spirit with him. And Isaiah 32 says, when he comes, when the spirit is poured out on us from on high, the desert becomes a field, the field becomes a forest, he's bringing life back. Jeremiah 31, 33 says, this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days. I'll put my law in them. On their heart, I will write it. I will be their God. They will be my people. He says, there's a day coming where the Spirit's returning, this connection with the life of God and intimacy with God and a power. Ezekiel 36, 36 says, I will give you a new heart, put a new spirit in you. I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit in you and he will move you to obey my decrees. That I'll get an intimate, animating power from the spirit of God that that helps me live the way I want to live. Ezekiel has that great moment with God. You remember God takes him to that terrifying field filled with bones and God asks him, Hey, prophet, can these bones live? And Ezekiel gives the best Sunday school answer. I bet you know. And God says, prophesy to the breath, tell the wind to blow. And so he prophesies to the breath, says, blow all four winds, and a spirit enters them, and they come to life. And God says, that's what I'm doing for you. A boy is coming. He'll bring the wind with him. So John the Baptist shows up, starts preaching, eating locusts, And they look at him and go, are you the one? And he says, no, I'm just a guy yelling in the wilderness. And they're like, well, we picked up on that part. But where's the boy? And he says, I'm not fit to untie his sandals, but I'm baptizing you with water. He will baptize you with the spirit. And when Jesus came to be baptized, what happened? The spirit of the Lord descended upon him. His first sermon, he declared it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. The boy with the wind is here. And then he promised to give it to us. Nicodemus comes to me with him. Nicodemus, who had the law memorized. Nicodemus, who knew everything about this book from the time he was a baby, comes to Jesus, and he doesn't even have an articulated question. He just knows knowing all the rules is not sufficient to help him from, heal his dislocation. So he comes to Jesus and says, you have to be from God, because no one can do what you do. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth, you must be born again. And picks the one moment in his life over which Nicodemus had no control. He'd been memorizing this book from the time he was like three. And Jesus says, no, it's like birth. And you did not pitch in and help your mom when you were born. That was her work, not yours. You must be born again. And Nicodemus says, yeah, I don't think mom's going to go for that. Like, what are you talking about? And what does Jesus say? They're sitting on a rooftop in the Mediterranean, And Jesus says, you feel that? He says, the wind blows where it wills. And so it is with those who are born of the spirit of God. And then he says, you're a teacher of my people and you don't know this. This is what you've been waiting for. This is what the story's about. This is what's happening here. This is what he preached on the day of the last feast of his life. He said, I am coming to bring a spirit that when it's in you, it will be like a fountain of living water. That's what I'm doing. I'm sending a helper to you. It's coming. You need this. You expect this. You want this. It's the arrival, not just of morality, but a spirituality and intimacy with God. See, here's the thing about coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's not just about forgiveness of your sins right? That's like saying getting married is about ending singleness. Why do you want to get married? I just want to stop being single. Okay. Well, you know, there's this other person involved and what happens after the wedding? You end singleness to enjoy the union with this person. Jesus says, I have to go to the cross. Why? Because if I'm not glorified, I can't send the spirit. That's what he said in John. I gotta be glorified first. What did he mean by that? He means I gotta take all your sin on me and bury it. But that was a means to an end. Your salvation is not even primarily about the forgiveness of your sins. It's a big part of that because that was the barrier. That's what dislocated it. But Jesus said, yes, I am burying your sin in that grave. I'm paying the penalty for it on the cross. I'm casting it away. Why? So that you can return to the intimacy with God you were made for. I'm removing the impediment so you can enjoy the intimacy you were born to have. I'm bringing the wind back. That's why when he rose from the grave, do you remember what he did? I love this in John 20, when they saw him come back from the grave, it says he, said to, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that great? They were like, Jesus, you're back from the grave. <sighs> and still eccentric. Like what, what was that? You know what that was? That was Jesus saying, I did it. That severing from God, I took it. I took your severing on the cross. I was separated from my dad. That dislocation, I was dislocated. That death, I was buried. And when I rose, guess what, guys? (sighs) The intimate, animating presence of God is back from me to you. And so here we're told throughout the scriptures, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born under a woman just like us, born under the laws we could not keep to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because your sons, God sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, I get a father in heaven. I get an intimacy with you. I get an adoption with you. I get that intimacy and I get the animating presence of God empowering me again. It's beautiful. And um, when I was a youth pastor, I used to take my students uh, to Colorado from Texas, It's about a 20 hour bus ride. If you've never been on a bus for 20 hours with them uh, 12 year old kids, it smells gross. Uh, and it can be really uh, crazy in there. So I developed a system. I would start the drive at night and I would feed them a huge meal at McDonald's, right? And so they would feel all like full and a little sick. And then we had these TVs in the bus. I picked the longest movies I could think of and I would put them on and turn them up real loud. So it was hard for them to communicate. They all felt a little full and sick and they'd either fall asleep or watch the movies and they'd change their lives. Because the movies were Jesus of Nazareth, a six hour movie about Jesus, or Ben-Hur starring Charlton Heston. And most of them fell asleep during Ben-Hur, but every year there'd be some kid that as the sun rose in Colorado, they would come up to me and say, I did it this year. I watched all of Ben-Hur. And then I would give them the Ben-Hur handshake where you grip forearms and I would overact my response like Charlton Heston did. I would say, you've returned. I'm so bad. But there's a scene in Ben-Hur, if you haven't seen it. Well, Ben-Hur is condemned to die. He's a slave and he's in chains in the bottom of a ship rowing to his death for the Roman army. Their ship is hit, it is compromised, it is sinking, a chained slave sinking to his death. Then the commander of the ship comes down into the hold and breaks Ben Hur's chain, releases him, sets him free, puts him on his raft, and they survive the fight. Turns out they were victorious in the sea battle and they make it back to shore and then back to Rome. And when they get back to Rome, this general takes this slave Ben-Hur and says, they're throwing a triumph in my honor. You're coming with me. And when they get to the triumph, he puts Ben-Hur in his chariot with him. You ride with me in my triumph through this battle. And then they arrive at the throne of Caesar himself. And he says to Caesar, this man was a slave. I want his punishment and his slavery eradicated. And they wipe his slate clean. There is no longer any condemnation for you. Then he throws a party. And at the party, he stops everyone at one point and says, do you see Ben-Hur here? He was a slave who's been set free, but I'm not done. He is my son. I am adopting him. All I have is now his. And he takes off his robe and puts it around him, his signet ring, which symbols a family crest and the ability to enact with power in the family. And he puts it on him and says, this is now my son. And this is the imagery that's all cooked into Galatians here that you were adopted, you are sons. All you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. You are forgiven for your sin. You are set free. You're adopted by God. You are clothed in Christ and you are set free to live a new life with him. But I remember teaching Galatians to some middle school kids. And a kid says, so you're telling me God did all this, not me. God saved me, I can't earn it. God saved me, I could never lose it. And I said, right, and he goes, so then why am I not sinning all I want? I'm just free to do whatever. I'm like, well, brother, sinning all you want is not freedom. That's like getting detox from drugs and going, finally, I'm clean so I can fill my body with drugs. Like, no, that's what was killing you. I said, God set you free to live a new life. But then he said, well, Ben, I get all that. He said, but if you tell me you're free now, you're a son of God. You're a daughter of the king. The spirit's in you. Go forth. He said, we're going to have a great worship night. It's going to be awesome. We're going to sing the roof down. Then I'm going to go home. And about two weeks later, I'll get really sad. And then all the things I used to go to for comfort are coming right back. He says, Ben, you don't know the screens I'll look at. You don't know the things I'll put in my body. You don't know the things I'll say when I'm insecure. You don't know all the stuff I'll do. And he starts to say what a lot of us do. If I end this by saying, go forth in the spirit of God, you're like, I'm going to, and gonna trip and stumble and make a mess. And we're going to have to do this all over again next year. That you don't know my struggle with sin. And what's great about God is he hasn't just given you this new identity He has empowered you. He's not just saying, you're my son. He says, when you've been adopted as a son, he sent forth the spirit of his son into your heart. The intimate, animating presence of God is in the heart of his children. When you heard the gospel of salvation, having believed, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So now let's talk about the practicals. How do we walk in the spirit? If Jesus died and rose to put the spirit of God in us, what does it mean to be people who keep in step with the Spirit? Well, it's interesting. we don't have to look at this. You can look at it later in Luke 4. There's two moments talking about Jesus' relationship with the Spirit. It says that the Spirit led him out into the desert, and then it said, "He came back in the power of the Holy Spirit." And I think those are two good verbs that help us. What does it mean to walk with the Spirit? It means, "I am directed and empowered by the Spirit of God. I'm directed and empowered. So let's talk about those and then we're done. What does it mean to be led by the Spirit of God? Directed by Him. And what does it mean to be empowered by the Spirit? Well, to be directed by the Spirit means a couple things. How do you know the Spirit's talking to you? Some of you are like, how do I know the voice in my head is the Spirit? How do I know it's not just me? How do I know it's not lunch? How do I know I'm not listening? Like, which voice is His? How do you know you're being led by the Spirit? He's consistent with Scripture. He's consistent with Scripture. The spirit of God, Jesus called him in John 14, the spirit of truth who will abide in you and be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. He told the disciples that the spirit of truth will come and he'll guide you into all truth. That the apostles were given the word of God inspired to give to us. He's called the spirit of truth. How do you know the spirit of God's leading you? The spirit of God loves this book. So I remember I had a young man come up to me once at church and he said, hey man, I wanna learn how to hear from God. Can you teach me how to hear from God? And I said, with no mockery, I said, yeah, read the Bible a lot. I said, I have a professor that I remember he stood up at class once and he said, you know, when I'm studying a book in the New Testament, he said, I usually read it about 50 times just to get familiar with it. And we all started laughing, like who's gonna read the same book 50 times? We're like, "Ah," and he's like, what? And we realize, oh, he actually does. And he said, I find that as I read the word of God over and over again, it, it retrains the grooves in my brain so they start thinking along in rhythm with the word of God. He said, so I told this young man, read the word of God every day. And he said, no, 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 no. You don't understand. I want to hear from the spirit of God. And I said, I get that. And there's, there's something about your prayer life and I'm not trying to necessarily diminish that, but I want you to understand something. He's called the spirit of truth. And 2 Peter says about the spirit, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by his Holy Spirit. I said, the spirit you want to hear from inspired these words. Paul told Timothy, these words are God breathed. It's a word Paul made up. That, that the breath of God is on this page. I said, you want to know what the spirit sounds like? He sounds like this. He inspired it. So if you want to be someone who walks with supernatural power, lives in a very different kind of way, get the word of God deep into you. Let it be the fuel that God uses to empower you, right? Uh, a fire for it to really burn. It needs fuels and it needs wind. Right? And for me, when I read the word of God, I realize I need both. Because you can read the word of God like the Pharisees did. You can memorize it and still be arrogant. So when I sit down and read the Bible in the morning, man, I sit and read it and I tell God, God, would you open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your law? God, would you incline my heart to your testimony, not towards getting gain? I'm praying the Psalms and I'm asking him, God, as I look at your word with the wind blow, would you move so that I can see what it says, so I can understand what it says, so I can be affected by it, so I can be changed by it. True spirituality cherishes the scriptures and it's contrary to the flesh. Paul told the Galatians, walk by the Spirit and you'll not carry out the desires of the flesh. I don't need to belabor that because we've talked about that before in the second talk that he says later, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, enviousness, drunkenness, carousing, things like this. If you have a voice inside of you telling you to get drunk and go to an orgy, it's not the Spirit, according to Paul. Right? That the Spirit of God is contrary to the flesh, right? God has changed you on the inside. So what you used to love, you now hate. And what you used to hate, you now love. I remember when I first graduated college, I I started in a ministry and, I had a youth group of about five students, right? And over time, it began to grow to maybe maybe 15, 20, like just this little section here. And I remember these youth would come and I would preach the best I could to them. And there was this kid that would come and he would always sit right down front and he was huge. He went on to play football and was just a mountain of a human being, right? And he would try to show me with his body language that he could not possibly care less about what I was saying. So he would just sit like this. It actually sort of formed my preaching style. I just learned to start preaching around him, right? So I go back and (laughs) forth because whatever this is, is kind of freaking me out, So I would preach like that. And then I remember one day he came to me and uh, after the message, I don't even know what it was about. He looked at me and he's like, hey man, can I talk to you for a second? I'm like, yeah, bro, what's up? And then he started crying. And then he got real embarrassed because there were people there. And I was like, hey, let's just go around the corner. Let's talk. And so we go around the corner and he was like, hey man, like uh, I'm a big guy. I'm like, yeah, I know that. He's like, so that makes me good at football. And I was like, I believe that is true so far. Yeah, so good. And uh, he said, and that's made me very popular. He said, so I'm invited to every party at my school. All the guys want to be around me. All the girls want to date me. I get everything I want. Everything that's supposed to make me happy. He said, I've never been more miserable in my life. And he started crying. So we sat there and I just told him the gospel. Everyone's beautiful in the image of God. Everyone's broken because of sin. But Christ came to live the perfect life you could not. He died the death you deserved. He rose from the grave to give you new life. I'm preaching the gospel to him. And he says, man, I know all that. I've put my faith in Jesus. I belong to him. Then I said, well, then here's the deal. God has put his spirit in you and here's what's wrong with you. He has ruined you for sin. The spirit of God in you loves the Lord, cherishes the Lord, values the Lord. It's like the Lord has changed your taste buds. You can't live and be satisfied outside of his will. You can for a bit, but it will make you miserable and harden your heart. You can't live like this anymore. He's ruined you for sin. The spirit of God in you is crying out, stop feeding me sand when I need to drink living water. Stop running to broken streams when we have a well that will never run dry. The spirit of God is consistent with the word of God and contrary to the flesh, it goes in a different direction. And he's community driven. He loves us. That Ephesians tell us that the spirit of God has knit us together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. The spirit of God, Colossians tells us, he took different gifts and he spread them about us. So I can't look like God without you. And you can't look like Christ without him that you'll never reach your full potential without an us. God's rigged it that way that we are meant to walk together. And he will always exalt Christ. The Spirit of God is like the shy one in the Trinity. He's not the guy on stage with the mic. He's not the guy on the keyboard. The Spirit of God is like the guy running the spotlights. He loves to put the spotlight on Jesus. He's called the Spirit of Christ. How do you know the Spirit of God is working in you? He loves Christ. He loves Christ's church. He's contrary to the flesh. And he's consistent with the word of God. That's how you know his voice. How are you empowered by him? It's funny. Uh, I used to love teaching youth camps of kids. And uh, we would teach Galatians, you know, about the fruit of the spirit. And it used to make me crazy uh, when I grew up and would hear sermons on the fruit of the spirit. And they would say, the fruit of the spirit is love. So be loving. And that was sermon one in the series. And series two was the fruit of the Spirit is joy, so be joyful. And then series three was the fruit of the Spirit is peace, so be peaceful. And on it would go. But then I would read it and I'd go, wait, that's not right. So I love to teach these camps with kids. And especially if I was like in a rural area, I'd be like, hey, any of you kids like fruit? A bunch of hands go up. I'm like, who here likes apples? You see these little guys raise their hand. And I'm like, all right, you stand up. And it was great if it was like farmer kid, because then I would ask them, what's your favorite kind of apple? And it was great when it was a farmer kid because that would be like a hard question. You'd be like, well, the Granny Smith. Well, I don't know, the Golden Delicious and uh, the Pink Lady, I'm not sure. And you're like, got to pick one, bro. Gala. Gala apples, great choice. About how long does it take you to grow one off your arm? And it's great because they would sit there and go, what? What, you... what, It's not a hard question, man. About how long does it take to grow one off your arm? You're like, come on, golden delicious. About how long? the kid's like, I don't, I can't grow. What? You can't do it? You can't grow one? What do you lack, like the chlorophyll and stuff? (laughs) All right, fine. Well, then what do you do if you want an apple, man? You go to an apple tree. You go to the thing that has the power to make it, The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. How do you create those? You don't. They're his fruit. Your verb is later. If we live by the spirit, let's keep in step with the spirit. That I'm asking God, God, you're loving, let me be loving. God, you're peaceful, make me peaceful. God, you're joyful, make me joyful. I walk with him, I need him. To provide This is the desperation the Christian works with. Philippians says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling because it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. So several years ago when I was a 20-something, I, I lived in a church in the inner city of Denver, Colorado. And I lived in this church with a bunch of students. We were youth missionaries, youth ministers for the summer and did all these summer camps for kids that lived in the inner city of Denver. Pretty rough experience for these kids. And you know how mission trips go if you've ever been on one. You never feel more spiritual than when you're on a mission trip, right? You just feel that even out of your own energy, you're like, this is me living according to my values. I am such a spiritual human being. You guys are welcome. You don't say that out loud. You're like, I would never say that, but you are welcome. You know, because God is using me in your life. And on and on that would go. And you can usually burn off that for about a week. We were there for months. And I remember we did this one camp with these kids that I'll be honest, didn't really like me. And there was one girl in particular that was really mean. And she was maybe 12 or 13, so she was a little girl, but she would yell at people. But the thing was, it was like she had this keen sense of what people's insecurities were and she could exploit them. It was really remarkable. And then she could make it rhyme. And so she would start yelling at you and you'd be like, how dare you? How did you do that? I mean, how dare you? And I was just like, it was so difficult every day. And then I remember one day in the middle of camp, uh, I woke up in the morning and I was having my normal quiet time. Right, got my Bible out, and I'm like, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the food we're having. May it nourish our bodies, even though I don't exactly know what I'm asking you to do, with the food, but I'm supposed to say words like nourish and a prayer. And Lord, I just and at that moment I just realized I can't fake it anymore. And I just said, God, I don't want to go to this camp today. I'd rather watch TV all day than hang out with these kids. I'd rather stare at a wall then hang out with these kids. And that's a problem because I'm a minister and the bus is coming, we gotta fix something. And so I just started telling him, I I don't have it. I don't have love for this kid. I don't have a peace about that. I don't have any of it. I don't have any of it. And God, I just need you to show up. I need you to show up. And I was just begging him, help me. Showed up at camp. She was upset and started yelling at me. And I remember the weirdest thing happened. This girl is just raging, yelling at me. And I'm watching her, and suddenly the thought crossed my mind. It's hurt people that hurt people. And this little girl's been hurt. Not by me. I just got here. But all this rage is coming from somewhere. And I just I got this vision of what she was supposed to be, like what a little girl's supposed to be. She's supposed to be happy. She's supposed to have fun. She's supposed to feel safe. She's supposed to feel loved. She's supposed to be curious and playful. She's supposed to use these gifts in a redemptive way. And I started looking at what she's supposed to be and seeing how broken the world is and what it broke in her. And I started to feel this great compassion for her. And I'm begging God, God, would you save her? God, would you heal her? God, would you move in her? And I'm praying this. My heart's breaking for her and she's still yelling at me. And it was the craziest experience to just try to love her and minister to her. And you know, the next day in camp, she got thrown out, sent home for fighting. It was not a surprise. But I remember before that she ran up and she hugged me and she said, you were the one who was nice to me. And I remember when she said that, it just blew my mind because I thought, oh sister, you have no idea what I was praying about you. I was nice to her. I did love her, but not by my might, by his. Out of a desperation saying, God, let me keep in step with you. So can I close with a story? On that same trip, I love that I asked and no one answered. I'm going to take your silence as a yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I went over again, didn't I? The clock just stopped at this point. Oh my gosh. Uh, never going to have me back. But um, that same trip in Colorado, I had a buddy named Ben and he uh, He really wanted to climb the tallest mountain in Colorado. It was there in the backyard, Long's Peak, over 14,000 feet. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yes. And he said, well, you can't just go up this mountain. You have to train for it. And so we began to run every day to train to tackle this mountain. And then as the day approached to get up there, we told our mission group, we're going to go climb Long's Peak. And our entire mission group said, we'll go too. And we were like, no, you don't understand. Like this is, you have to leave in the middle of the night to get up there before noon and get back down. And you have to do that because thunderstorms are common on top of a mountain, lightning strikes them. And my friend Ben had been struck by lightning. It was actually part of his testimony. You know, some people use that as a metaphor. I was living crazy. And then one day it was like a bolt of lightning. I believed in God. For him, there was no metaphor. He's like, I was living crazy. God literally hit me with a bolt of lightning. I thought, I'm gonna die. I didn't die. And I came to Jesus. I just don't wanna get hit by lightning again. So he said, we're gonna leave in the middle of the night. We gotta get up there before lunch and get off the mountain, we got to move fast, and they were all like, we'll do it, and we're like, fine, whatever, so we went in the middle of the night, we start up this mountain, dude, it's not five minutes into it, before the first person's like, oh my gosh, is it hard to breed up here for y'all, is that a snack bar, I'll see you in a minute, and they'd wander off in the wilderness, somebody else was like, I forgot something in the car, don't wait for me, and then one by one, they're just all peeling off They're quitters, Ben and I, charging up the mountain, we're just tackling this thing, we're in shape, bah, we're passing lesser hikers, we're feeling good, We get to the boulder field. We're leaping from boulder to boulder. We're like, we're gonna crush this thing. And then we get up to this area called the keyhole. Called that because the mountain looked like a keyhole. And because then once you passed through this arch, you were on the backside of the mountain to traverse to get up to the top. But when we get to the backside, we realize it's covered in snow. And we didn't plan for that. And not only is it covered in snow, you have to traverse this ledge that's a steep cliff. And if you fall off this cliff, they find the body later, write stories about you. You're a cautionary tale, right? And uh, we look at this and I remember I look at Ben. I'm like, I don't think we can do this. He's like, no, I think we can do this. I'm like, I don't think we can do this. He's like, no, we can do this. And we start to argue about it. And as we're arguing about it, these two guys from Germany walk up and they had, been, uh, had flown over to climb this mountain. And they look at us and they were like, hey, we flew over to climb this. They're like, you guys going to stop here or are you going to go to the top? And we were like, we're going to go to the top. What do you think? we're rookie's here? I think you're talking to? We're going to go to the top. And so they start pulling pickaxes out of their backpacks and crampons, those spikes you put on your boots. And I look at Ben, and I'm like, should we suit up, bro? And he's like, yeah. So we put on some sweatpants <laughs> and I retie my trainers and we're like, see you all at the top. And we take off across the snow covered ledge. Now there were footprints in the snow and little holes from where a pickaxe had been. And so we would put our feet in these little holes and our fingers in it, and we're traversing the sledge, right? (laughs) I'm not advocating this choice, but we made it. And so we did it, and then there's this steep incline. And we start to climb these footprints like they're a ladder. And about midway through it, something goes wrong. Like we start to feel lightheaded, start to feel nauseous, start to feel drained, like, like something's internally wrong. And Ben's ahead of me, and I watch him just plant his face in the snow. And I'm like, Ben, you can do this. And he's like, I can't do this. And I'm looking at this cliff going, I need you to do this, right? So we make it up there, but we are completely exhausted. And we go, surely we're almost there. Let's just turn this corner where the top of the mountain. So we turn the corner and there's another corner. We turn that corner, there's another corner. We turn that corner, there's another We're like, how round is this mountain? And we turn that corner and there's another incline through the snow. And my buddy Ben just collapses. I was like, come on, man, we can't, you know, forget it. And we both sit down and I don't remember who said it, but we started praying and I remember the prayer started with, oh God, we are so stupid. (laughs) Because we're really scared, Like We're stuck on the side of a mountain and, and we're too tired to get down. I'm like, how long till they file a missing person's report? Like, can they get helicopters to this altitude? Like, we're in trouble. And as we're praying this, we suddenly see this head pop up from behind a rock. And we were like, are we seeing things. But then sure enough, this dude walks around the corner and he walks up to us and he was like, hey guys, he was like real upbeat. And he was like, hey, you boys been to the top. Wait a second. He said, You're the university guys who came up here without equipment. He said, We're in all of you. You guys are crazy. And he started saying something about God protecting the ignorant. I don't know, we weren't really paying attention. <laughs> But he was like, have you been to the top? And I was like, man, I don't think we're going to make it. And he's like, you got to go. And I just, I could notice he was bothering Ben. So I was like, hey, can you sidebar for a second? And I was like, hey, man, like, like we're not doing good. And it's a little scary. And, and I say that to him. I remember he looks down at my hands and my hands were freezing. They were just wet and cold in my t-shirt. And, and I remember he looked at me and he goes, hey, to start, boys, you're breathing wrong. I'm like, what do you mean? I think we know how to breathe. He said, not up here you don't. He said, the atmosphere is different. He said, breathe along with me. And we just start breathing with this guy. And as we're breathing along with him, our head starts to clear, start to feel less nauseous. And then I remember he pulls these mittens out of his bag, which mittens is not quite the right word. Like they go up to here and had all these straps on them. And we were like, that's the stuff. There are those fingers. Yes. And it felt so good. And he was like, you boys ready to go to the top? And we were like, man, I don't know. But then he pulls these pickaxes out and he was like here and hands them to us and we're like, oh yeah, let's do this. You know, it just felt cool. And so we're like, let's go. And I remember I took my first step and my leg just folded. And I looked at him and I said, I'm sorry, man, I just can't do this. And I'll never forget, and this is a true story, he, he looked at me at that moment and he was like, you grab onto my belt. He said, I'm gonna stamp out footprints in the snow. He says, and when I step up, you rise and I will lead you up this mountain. So I held his belt and Ben held mine and he would stamp out a foot sprint and he would step and we would step and he would step and we would step. And then we got to the top and looked down on clouds and we got to a place we could not get on our own, step by step with the person who empowered us. Turned out he was a missionary, inspirational guy. We sat and had a meal up there It was coming around afternoon, so Ben's getting nervous watching the skies, and we're like, hey, we should probably get down. And so we start to get off the mountain, and as we're on our way down, we get to that incline that had just crushed us. And we were looking at it, and I think we started crying a little bit, but the guy looked at us, and he was like, "Ah, come on, guys, this is the best part. We're like, what do you mean this is the best part? It's almost killed us. He's like, no, you don't climb down it. He said, you put your feet down in front of you, your hands behind you, and you slide down. Let's go! And he sort of slid down, we were like, Ah! And then I looked at Ben and Ben's looking at me and I'm like, I hate you, man. So I decided I got to go next. And I put my feet down and my hands up and start sliding down. And I got to tell you, I know most of us have met. You've never done something this cool. It's like the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Just zooming down the side of this mountain. And he told us, if you ever lose control, spin over on your stomach, throw your elbows in the snow, you'll stop in a dime. So I figured I should probably try this. So I spun over, threw my elbows down, dead stop. And I was like, ooh, say my name, right? And Flip back over, <laughs> keep sliding down, like I got this. And I'm watching him and he stops right where you have to stop to traverse that cliff or else you go sailing over the ledge and uh, they feature you in tomorrow's newspaper. And so I realized I better stop. So, so I spin around, throw my elbows down, look up. I see Ben's smiling face and his big feet as they make contact with my face. And I flip over backwards and our bodies get tangled up and we end up face first in an uncontrolled slide straight towards this cliff. And I'll never forget, we're coming at him and this guy looks up at us, pulls two pickaxes out of his bag, throws them in the snow, wraps his knees around him and goes, and catches us. And we were like, you gotta be kidding me. And the whole rest of the run down the mountain, we were like, do you think he was an angel? I kind of think he was an angel. I'm not sure. Was her feet touching the ground? I'm not, I can't tell. Now, why tell you all that other than just to mess with you before I leave, Bob? For this reason, the fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace. I don't want you to make big promises to God of what you're gonna do with him. I want you to grip on tight. Life is his. You be intimate with him. You tell him honestly your heart, you pour out your anxieties, you pour out your sin, you stay close and when he steps you step, God help me be loving. God let me be gentle in this conversation. God help me be peaceful in the midst of uncertainty. God give me self-control as I consider what I put in my body, how I use the body you gave me. You keep in step with him and when you tumble and when you fall and you slip, Again, don't beat yourself up. know that you have a savior who longs to catch you, dust you off and said, you all right, let's go. And I promise you, you'll arrive in places you could never get on your own. So Father, I thank you that there's an invitation on the table to know you and to walk with you, to be yours forever. And I just pray now, God, for us in this room Lord, I just feel like there's some people here who've never put their faith in you. Maybe maybe they've been around the, the trappings and images and pictures and maybe the people of Jesus, of religion, but they've never put their faith in Jesus. They never said, I'm going with you. If you're breaking chains, break mine. If you're forgiving sins, forgive mine. If you're adopting people, adopt me. If you're inviting us on the journey, God, I need to be clothed and embraced by you, and I need to walk with you. Is there anybody here who wants to put their faith in Jesus? I just wonder, with, I don't want to make this a long moment, but with your heads down and eyes closed, and just for a moment, anybody here tonight that says, That's me? I wanna put my faith in him for the first time. I wanna move from death to life. I wanna move from dislocated to the spirit of God in me. I wanna belong to the Father God because of the work of Jesus. I wanna be adopted as a son and call him Abba, Father. Anybody that says, I think tonight's my night. I think New Horizons my moment. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. If that's you, can you just put a hand up where I can see you? Anybody in here? Anybody in this tent say, "That's, that's me. You don't got to keep it up long. I'm just curious you're out there. Father, for those of us that know you, I pray, God, we wouldn't try to pretend we got it all together. You know the game. But I pray we'd be people who truly walk with you. Lord, we don't have to act like we got it all. We have to confess we don't. And Lord, I pray like Shackleton, we could be people who in our moments of desperation just throw the sail up in Drake's passage and see the wind blow in our lives and carry us places we can't go on our own. I pray we could be people who rely on you step by step, moment by moment, in big moments like this and in little moments tomorrow. As we lay in bed, as we drive in the car, as we make choices, I pray we grip onto you and say, Lord, I need you. Make me loving. Give me your peace. Teach me your truth. Unite me with your people. I need a friend to confess to. I need some brothers to serve. I need a mentor to care for me. God, I need you, I need your people. Let's grip together and may I keep in step with your spirit. I just wanna invite you, family, if you're up for it, you tell them that. I can't pray that for you, but you can tell them, God, I wanna keep in step with you. I wanna walk with you. And I wanna invite you family, the prayer tent's open. We're gonna worship here in a minute. And some of you, the thing you need to do right now is you wanna sing everything that's on that screen, you sing it others of you, maybe you just need to sit in your seat and deal with God. Maybe there's some things that you go, man, me and God need to talk about this part of my life. I've just never talked to him about it. I've tried to bury it in distraction. I'm talking to him now because I need him to walk me out of some things and into some things. I want a new kind of life carried along by the power of the spirit of God. I want to be a spiritual person. We got a conversation we need to have. Some of you just, you don't need to sing yet, but you need to sit. And then when you're ready to sing, you do it. And others of you, you don't need to stay in your seat at all. There's a prayer tent to my right, your left. You don't gotta stay there all night. Maybe you're just there and then right back out singing with us, but you go, you know what? I just, I've been praying about this issue in my life by myself in my quiet place long enough. But God says, confess to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So I'm just gonna believe that. I'm just gonna do that. I'm just gonna walk in that and say, I'm confessing this to you. I've got this issue I can't handle. Will you pray along with me and ask God to move in my life? And some of you, what you need to do as the music starts is slip out to the prayer tent and say, will you pray with me, brother? Will you pray with me, sister? Will you walk with me as we walk with the Lord together? Father, I thank you for this special week at New Horizon. I'll Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, the the wind of your spirit would blow through this tent that lives would change, trajectories would change in here that make families change and communities change and nations change outside of this place. I ask for a movement of God in this space that ripples throughout this country and beyond. We ask you to blow, we ask you to move us. Lord, may we keep in step with you. Thank you for the invitation to walk with the King. We pray that in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.